all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am speaking to Mon Hamdan, the global managing director of Hexa Global Ventures. Previously, he was an operator for some great HR tech companies, uh, one of them being HR Smart, which was acquired by Dell Tech. Uh, also, Trend Data, which he sold to iSolved. Mon, how you doing today? Doing great, thank you, David. Are you in the hot? Are you in hot, sticky Dallas today? Well, today actually we have great weather. We we got a storm yesterday and brought the temperatures from the 110 to 88, and uh, today it's the highest 90. So we're enjoying it. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. I'm in San Diego. It's a little bit better than that, but <laughs> you know you got to pay for that. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> All the California people are going so to <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, you know, I just stay here for the summer. I'm in Phoenix nine months out of the year, but like, uh, I can't afford to live in San Diego. I, I need, I need to live like a king, Mon, with my expensive life, lifestyle. So, I live in a cow town like Phoenix. So, Mon, tell me, you have had the great experience of being a multi-exited founder and now investor. Um, let's start. Let's let's go back. Let's let's start with uh, kind of your experience building and starting, um, you know, basically HR tech companies, and you know your background, of course. And then we'll jump into Hexa Global Ventures, which is super interesting. Thank you, thank you. Um, a little bit about my background: I started my career as an electrical engineer and uh, um, overseas. I I'm originally from Lebanon, so I studied in electrical engineering and. Ended up working in the Gulf for five years before I saw the light. And the light I saw is that I am not the engineer type that will work with machinery in a closed room by myself. I wanted to be around people. So uh, I came back to UT Austin, got my MBA, and went uh, still in engineering, but went to telecom and went to the product management route and then later marketing and sales. Uh, spent a few years in telecom. Um, uh, grew to become an executive with companies, but the more I succeeded there, the more I realized I enjoy more starting companies and growing companies from when they're small. I did not enjoy being in a large corporation and being uh, one of many uh, that had only a small impact on the big picture. I wanted to have bigger impact. So in 94, I became an entrepreneur, started my first company, which um, was my first semi-failure, if you want, because I uh, it did not go uh, where I needed it to go. It was called CareerNet, and it was a, supposed to become a job board like Monster.com. But in 94, the market was too early for job boards, and I didn't have enough money, so I couldn't take the company where it needed to. So I went on and started my second company, which was a paging company in Latin America, 
That did fairly well. And in 99, I started HR Smart, uh, which was um, my third company. And uh, that grew to become uh, itself 10 companies uh, globally. And I exited in 2015. So I've over the years, I feel responsible for starting uh, many companies. Most of them succeeded. But I had uh, a couple failures along the way. So what, did, what was HR Smart? What was the value proposition there? What, what problem were you solving? Well, we started with, uh, uh, initially when we started, we started with a recruiting solution. We actually, at the time, we didn't know that one day it would be called applicant tracking. Uh, we were one of the first in the industry to build an applicant tracking solution. Evolved from there to add performance management, then learning management, then succession planning, career planning, and so on. Uh, by the time I sold the company, we had nine HR technology or talent management solutions that all operated as um, uh, on a single database as a unified application, but clients only used what they needed. So they could turn off everything and just use learning management, or uh, they can use two solutions or five and so on. And uh, grew that, like I mentioned, globally. We By the time we sold the company, we had it in uh, uh, 12 languages in 30 countries around the world. Wow. And so what, what made you want to start with applicant tracking systems and, and recruiting? Like what was the, the genesis of that from being an electrical engineer? Well, um, it all started in my last job in telecom. In 93, I was uh, the uh, chief uh, sales and marketing uh, officer for a company called PageNet. And at the time, PageNet was the largest the global provider of the of pagers. And in my job there, I was spending literally in the seven figures money on recruiting for uh, sales uh, and uh, uh, support people. So when I decided to become an entrepreneur, the idea came to me to create a job board that allowed people to put their profile online and allowed the company, CareerNet in this case, to have a database that somebody would have access and they would search for the right candidate without needing a recruiter. That was kind of the idea. Um, and as I mentioned, CareerNet, uh, after a year, didn't work uh, well, didn't bring enough revenues for, to support itself. And I haven't raised money at the time. So I had to sell it. Now, I uh, sold the IP, the intellectual property, to a company out of Michigan who took it and they were supposed to essentially make it happen themselves. Uh, we became, the sale for them was mostly equity. So we became owner in their company and we continued to check on them. So fast forward to 1998, we went to Michigan to check on this investment we made in this company, and we found out that they weren't using the technology as much. They had they had um, advanced it a little bit, but they weren't using it a much, uh, that much. So we reacquired CareerNet from them, and now we had a technology for essentially job matching. I uh, went and spoke to a lot of clients at the time and said, okay, we have this technology. By then, Monster and career builder were in business. So we were kind of late to the job board market. Uh, so what did we do? What do we do with that technology? Consulted with a few clients and everyone said, create a job board for us, internal job boards for our company where, where applicants can come and apply and we track the hiring process. So we used that job board technology and built an applicant tracking from it. That's how we got into it. 
Uh, in fact, every business I started in my career has been a reaction to a market need versus me thinking that I know it all and starting something. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have market pull before you start building stuff around it. You know, it, it's super interesting. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, you were you were out, you were working, you were spending a ton of money. Um, for recruiters, uh, no one wants to pay the recruiter, but you know it's a quick way to you know to get people. They're not really functionally doing anything different than you would be doing. They're going to the same people and advertising jobs, and they're just screening them for you. It's not like they have a proprietary list of people, <laughs> right? And you know, so you built this tool internally. The tool or the company didn't work out, so you sold the tool. And since then, um, you know, this was late 90s. So, you know, the dot com boom was happening and people started to want eyeballs. So they started building the job board, which wasn't which wasn't super technologically interesting, but the Internet was interesting. Web 2 was interesting and people wanted to be on platforms. And so the idea of saying, like, let's actually use a platform to advertise our jobs became interesting. However, you were also competing for the same eyeballs as everybody else. And so you said, why don't we do this internally? Enterprise can do this internally. So you made the first job board or applicant tracking system for the enterprise. One of our first clients was a company that we all know very well, and we love their product, Hershey's, you know, the chocolate company and um, global company, a lot of employees, and their recruiting uh, process at the time, you can imagine, uh, every office had their own recruiters and their own processes. We just built a one system that automated the whole thing for them globally, and they loved it. And they started telling others about it. And before we know it, we had Sprint as a client, we had uh, major banks as clients, and and we were essentially one of the... Uh, segment creators uh, at the time, because like I mentioned, when we started, the word applicant tracking had not been invented yet. Uh, it's, it's one of those we coined along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And since you were collecting the data up front, it really made sense to continue to build modules. It became kind of easier at that point to continue to build software and value. Yes, because the, the human resources executives at the time that saw the impact that our solution had on the recruiting process, they were still dealing with this uh, uh, disparate uh, uh, process of uh, uh, performance management. Uh, they were doing uh, all training manually. They, weren't, they didn't have any system, so they will come to us and say, well, could you do the same thing for us, uh, for our performance? And... Uh, um, being an entrepreneur, we could never say no. No, no, we had an applicant tracking company. So we would get a new team and we'll start working on a performance management. And uh, But we did it in a way that is uh, till today, actually yesterday, I had a meeting with uh, somebody that used to be our partner in Canada. And he tells me till today they use, we had a vision chart that was the shape of a football. And they call it the football, but... Uh, and it had the whole, all the solutions on it in a, in a way that I envisioned it. And it's something that I prepared back in the early 2000s. And actually, this gentleman just told me he's a consultant now. He said, I still use it today. <laughs> it's that, that, uh, uh, because it, it does, um, put the whole talent management process in one chart so people can understand what, 
what is involved from when you onboard a client to when you offboard them at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I can see like how, how I, can, I can envision the football in my head right now, even though I haven't seen the chart. But essentially, it's, you know, you go through applicant tracking and then you sit probably in three or four different tech stacks, right? And and then you kind of go to the offboarding process, right? So, and, you know, you're kind of getting passed along like a football. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, I could see HRS, you know, uh, e-learning, you know, content management systems, all those things. Did you ever go into billing and payroll? No, that was yeah. I mean, uh, that was that was already a well that was a well solutioned kind of area. Exactly. Plus, it was more administrative. Uh, our focus was on talent management, on essentially finding people for the right skills, matching them with the right job, and making sure we evolve their skills. Uh, the area of payments and benefits was always considered by us, at least, as a um, partner business because their focus was on administering the the the, the payments and the uh, anything administrative about the the client, the uh, employee who was their client at the time, but not uh, not as. It, it wasn't touching on their talents and skills and fit to the job they're in. Uh, so we focus on talent management. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And so, um, when you sold that company, um, and you, what, what did you tell me about the sale and then tell me about when you started trend data, love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, I, uh, um, it, it, it is really a story there because, um, in 2007, uh, David, uh, HR smart was doing so well that Deloitte put us on their Tech 50 list. Tech, Deloitte Tech 50, uh, I don't know if they still do it today, I should check, but at the time, it was Deloitte's fastest growing technology companies, uh, I believe globally. Um, and we made it that year to their list as number 36, um, as far as growth. Here in the Texas area, there is something called Tech Titans, uh, that's a competition similar to the Deloitte 50, but it's local to North Texas. Uh, we were the, the, the fastest growing uh, technology company in Texas for five years in a row uh, before 2007. And uh, so we decided in 2007 that it was time for us to look at uh, um, raising some pre-IPO funding and essentially looking at potential exit. Um, now, one thing to mention is as of that date, as of 2007, the company had raised uh, less than $1 million total in funding over its uh, seven years in business. Uh, some of our competitors that came after us, um, such as Success Factors, for example, by then had raised tens of millions of dollars. I believe the number for the Success Factor may have been around $80 million by then. Um, and the reason we didn't have a lot of money is because we couldn't being a software company in North Texas uh, made a lot of investors wary about investing in us. Um, and there is a reason for that story I'll, I'll share with you, but uh, you being uh, uh, running an investment firm, you'll appreciate. Um, I hired an investment banking firm, one of the best in the market at the time. 
And we told them, please help us raise our pre-IPO funding. Um, they started working on it. As you know, normally this process may take 90 to 120 days. Um, after six months, they had not raised any money. And that was September of 2008. I had a meeting with them. I said, listen, guys, what's going on here? You know, that's uh, six months later now, and we don't have, and we have met with probably by then 20, 25 different uh, uh, investment groups. Their answer to me at the time was, are you willing to move to Silicon Valley? Because if you do, I will have at least 10 investors lining up to invest in you. But in North Texas, nobody wants to take that risk. Um, and at the time, I was cocky enough to say, you know what? I have gotten to where I was with $1 million. If nobody is going to invest in us, we'll continue on our own. I had not realized what's going to happen three months down the road on, in 2008. Um, 2008 uh, financial meltdown happens. Uh, we are essentially a SaaS company growing over 50% uh, every year. Um, we were funding everything through our new sales. And uh, at, when, when sales slowed down, we lost essentially our funding. Uh, the rocket that we're on, on, you know, crashed back to the ground. And now we had a soft landing because I had offices in four countries. I was able to keep uh, running the business at low cost. And uh, we survived and rebuilt the company and had a very nice exit uh, in two 2015. But the success factors, and I use them as an example because they were essentially almost um, uh, by that time have very similar products, very similar markets. Uh, we were ahead of them in 2007 in every way except funding. Um, in 2008, they had raised $400 million in Silicon Valley. And so when, when the financial meltdown happened, as you can imagine, they went telling every client and prospect that uh, you don't want to do business with HR Smart. I mean, if I were their salesperson, that's what I would have done. So I don't blame them for that. That's normal. And uh, clients that were wary of the situation, um, you know, went with success factors. They picked up a lot of companies along the way that went uh, belly up during that period. Fast forward to 2015, they exited for $3.7 billion. Now, we had a very good successful exit. I'm not complaining, but it was sub 100 million. And um, so that was what drove me to create Hexa. Uh, and that is essentially, I wanted to try to get our entrepreneurs and innovators in North Texas, create a mini ecosystem similar to Silicon Valley. And obviously I cannot do it by myself, but I was hoping I'll be a, a, a spark that will start a whole forest fire. And um, and that was what Hexa was, is all about. It's an ecosystem designed to be a mini Silicon Valley for the innovators. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, $100 million, nothing to sneeze at. You know, you dealt with some dirty pool, right? <laughs> I mean, it, things happen, right? And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, I was just thinking about today. I mean, I've, I've, I've been hearing um, just so many things that can go wrong in a company. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's amazing to me. Market conditions, 
your capital stack, taking too much money, not taking enough money. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's just like it's a roulette. No matter how smart you are, no matter how you know how great your company is, how great your product is, you can still lose or or not win as much. Um, if you're making a great business, if you're making uh, a business that has great fundamentals, like you like HR Smart was, you can still have a crash. You could have a soft landing amidst any type of crisis, but. You know, it, it's super hard to compete with companies that, um, you know, are venture backed, that are burning tons of money at bad economics and are playing that hot potato game. Right. Where they're just, you know, giving giving that stuff away. Um, OK, so Hexa, um, you started Hexa. So I know we kind of breached on it. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how many portfolio companies that you have, how much capital is being deployed, um, you know, what what kind of the, what those companies look like, et cetera. Sure. Um, let me let me, David, start by defining you know what what is Hexa as an ecosystem because it's not just one uh, incubator accelerator. In fact, our incubator accelerator is one company out of six that is in the ecosystem. Uh, we created six different companies. In fact, we created some and acquired some, but uh, but the ecosystem has one company that's an incubator accelerator has one software development company that could help any of our companies that need help with their technology or team building. We have a marketing company. We have a sales development company. We have a global support company, as well as innovation centers where people could sit together and collaborate and uh, work together. Now, that's kind of the ecosystem. And each one of them is the, is operating as a, as a separate independent company owned by different shareholders and uh, run by different CEOs with each CEO goal to maximize the value of their own business. However, they all operate under that one uh, goal in mind, which is essentially if Hexa Ventures incubates a company, then every one of these companies will be willing to offer their services at cost. They will not charge any margins or profit for any of the incubated companies. So that's kind of the model we built. Over the years, uh, we have invested, Hexa Ventures have incubated and invested in almost 40 companies. And um, uh, the the model uh, really is three levels of investment. The first level is simple incubator model, where all we do is we help them with their advisory, mentoring, help them with the pitch deck, introduce them to investors, uh, uh, help them form their board, their advisors, etc. And for that, we take a small equity. The level two investment is where we invest in some of the services that may get from the ecosystem. So if they want to hire uh, programmers through Tech Genies, um, Hexa Ventures may cover half of that cost on their behalf uh, as an investment. And level three is where we put in cash in these companies. Um, one thing to mention is uh, Hexa has never created a fund. So I has, have been personally the only limited partner. So I kept investing in the company, in the uh, incubator until essentially I, my fund uh, uh, ran out, which happened when the market uh, went south uh, about seven months ago. Uh, but until then, from those 40 companies, we had put cash investment in 12. We have made services investment in about 22 of the 40, 
and the others were simple incubated companies. Uh, a lot of these companies uh, turned out to be HR technology companies simply because that's where we had a lot of connections. Um, and as a result, we have created an, addition, an additional benefit to these startups in that we created a whole go-to-market uh, support strategy for them that goes beyond uh, just helping them uh, sell uh, on their own. So uh, so now we have a, a whole go-to-market network that resells for our portfolio companies if they're HR technology companies. So that's kind of the the uh, where we are today. Um, of the 40, uh, we had already four successful exits and we had one failure, unfortunately. The failure we couldn't help uh, keep in business by any means because they were a technology company that was creating an application for people to share information when they go to sports events or or uh, concerts or things like that. And they launched their company December of 2019. And as you know, March of 2020, COVID shut down any events. And we kept uh, trying to um, keep them going uh, because they were just a startup. They didn't have a lot of money. So we gave them a lot of free services to stay in business, hoping that COVID would go away. But after two years, and as you know, it took, took over two years for events to start coming back. Uh, they, they just um, couldn't, couldn't hold on. So, so that's the only failure we have out of 40, 40 companies. And as you know, we're very proud of that because um, uh, if you look at the average number of startups that succeed uh, in, the, in the market in general, we're talking less than 10% succeed. In our case, we lost one out of 40. So we have a 97% success rate, something like that. So we're proud of that. That's fantastic. So when you're saying that you are uh, incubating them, you're f the founders are coming in with an idea. You're giving them a little bit of seed capital, and you're you know providing some services and some support and getting them to get some funding. Because I've seen, I mean, I've I've looked at a lot of your 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 product, and there's some really great companies in your portfolio. Yeah, I mean, one of our exits. That's a case study. I'll I'll share with you, David. It's a company that we helped build. Um, of all <laughs> uh, technologies, we help them build a recruiting technology that uh, um, uh, is AI driven. And that company uh, was able to exit in its second year of operation with less than a million dollars in revenue. They were able to exit for $75 million. And uh, so that's kind of for me that that has that is the star of our uh, incubation and acceleration uh, work. Uh, the other three of the four that uh, we exited were all successful. One, uh, the the one that's kind of uh, very successful, but not as well as this one, exited for thirty five multiples of revenues, although it was still like three years old. And uh, so we we've, we've got very good successful exits, and that's what's helping us fund obviously newer companies. Uh, otherwise, I tell everybody, you know, I wish I was Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I could help many more companies than I can. Or you know, one one day I'm hopeful that a fund will will partner with Hexa and kind of act as the investor in what we do. Uh, but we have not done that today, not because we don't want to, but because we we never had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Until you feel rich again and the market goes up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll come back up. Yeah, you'll be you'll be writing checks again. You just got to, you know, you just got to get get past this uh, little stutter step. 
yeah. <laughs> it's amazing like how how I mean I don't care you know how savvy of an investor anybody is I mean investing is an emotional game you know and when, when you look when you look at your your paper statements it gets scary you know <laughs> that's why I just try to not look at it when stuff is uh <laughs> isn't going good and everyone thinks that you know like hey even though you know those six months in 2021 when I was worth X amount of money right you, you know like that's what I should be and that's what I need to be back before I feel comfortable again when in reality like that was just a blip right like we were we were never supposed to be that rich and it was a number on a paper you know that we forget that we thought it was a number on a paper yeah it was a, yeah and like none of us were selling you know so like um yeah so yeah it's it's an emotional game so you know, I really I've seen a lot of HR technology uh, today, and I think um, you know I think it's it's being purchased because you know there's a lot of HR problems in the world right now, specifically around the Great Resignation, um, uh, you know, uh, employee retention, uh, recruiting, finding the right people, etc. So within all this noise. Mon, tell me, where is there real opportunity um, in in HR tech? Which companies are going to, you know, stand the test of time? Because, you know, I look at HR tech kind of becoming like the next marketing or sales tech. It's like there's just so many tools out there. And so where do you feel like the real opportunity is? And, you know, where where is their growth in this market? Well, the, the evolution, I'm not going to mention companies or even technologies. I'm going to talk about it from a, uh, um, a talent uh, manager perspective. The, um, the smart providers will recognize that if I am running the talent of uh, my company, um, I'm the chief human resources officer or uh, whatever the title is, the VP of HR, my goal is fairly, fairly simple. I want to maximize the retention of my employees, their productivity, and how committed they are to my company. And um, once somebody understands that, it essentially solutions that will make those things happen will be the ones that will essentially stand the test of time and will be the ones that are needed the most. Now, the answer to this question is not as easy, and you and I know very well, uh, it all depends on the people, and the people change with time. So what worked uh, 20 years ago uh, didn't work 10 years ago, doesn't work today, because the kinds of people and the environment they're living in and how they're working changes. That impacts people's productivity, expectations, motivations, uh, availability for for um, alternatives, their retention or, or commitment to their client and so on. So once a solution starts thinking about it like this from a global perspective and becomes a people management solution. You know, when, when we started uh, HR Smart, we were the first to say, it's not about human resources information system. That's what it used to be, the payroll and benefits. At the time, we coined the talent management. You have to manage the skills of your people and hire the right people and put them in the right skills. That was 20 years ago. Now it's about people. You have to look at your company, um, your employees, not just when they're employees. 
after they leave you, where do they go? Stay network with them. Have them stay network with your company. Um, start working with people that could join your company down the road because, you know, you want to start uh, whether training people or, or just attracting people, uh, things like internships, things like relationship with, uh, with schools, things like uh, uh, having some, some uh, free training uh, programs. I mean, all this takes whatever the HR executive has to do beyond their employees. Now they're looking at the whole uh, uh, ecosystem of um, uh, talent that could join them or talent that left them. Uh, that's, I think, where the HR is evolving to today. Unfortunately, retention rates are very low. Uh, people are, low, are moving jobs very quickly. Uh, that is a problem for most companies. But if the company is agile enough to have to start thinking ahead of time, they become the attractant of these people that are leaving jobs, uh, leaving their jobs versus losing them. So I, I know it's a uh, long answer. It doesn't touch upon what technologies there are. Obviously, if I do, I'll be I'll be promoting our our portfolio companies. But uh, do it, <laughs> do it, mom. Pump your book. Ever everyone else does. <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, would be happy to talk to anybody independently and give them ideas. But 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 I hope I was able to clarify. It's not just about managing your employee talent now. It's managing the people that before they join you and after they leave you. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's smart. And you know, I, I just think like when it comes to, it's kind of like healthcare in a way that I think about employee interaction, engagement, retention, productivity, you know, it's, I'm not entirely sure that like automating stuff with software is like the first principle of it. It, you know, it almost needs to be like, there's a behavioral change. Like, how do you, how do you become like not a shitty boss anymore? How, how do you like care about people in a way that um, wants people to stay? Because you, you know, you can't be a shitty boss. It's just too competitive out there. Whether you work for Wendy's or you work for for Google, like you know, you you just have to be an empathetic person. You're gonna have to want to want to help people, and you know, uh, you know, if you want to have anybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting. I'm I'm really curious to see where this where this space goes. Leading Come versus on, managing. Of, exactly, exactly. So. I want to give you a couple a uh, couple canned questions that we give all of our guests. What is the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? Um, early when I started working in this country back in 84, I worked for a gentleman called Mark Feichner, who was a vice president of uh, um, business uh, and corporate development for GTE, which is now Verizon. Uh, he became my mentor. That's why I called myself Mark for the last 40 years. I mean, um um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, and Mark gave me the advice that I've lived with since then. And I, I, um, think, uh, I'm successful because of that. And he always told me, always think when, when, when you're talking to someone about anything, in addition to think how you can be a winner from whatever it is you're, you're talking to them about, in your mind, you should be thinking about what makes them win out of this and always approach that uh, them with that win-win. Don't ever waste your time on something that you think you're going to win and they're going to lose because even if you pull it off, 
it's not going to be a win for you. Something is going to down the road happen that will turn it uh, sour. So I practiced that all my life, and it turned out to be a very, very good, uh, valid uh, advice. I like that. What's your favorite book? Uh, <laughs> email. <laughs> now, I... Um, yeah, Gmail. Um, <laughs> I haven't read books in a long time, unfortunately, the lack of time. But uh, when I did, my favorite book was uh, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, who is a fellow Lebanese-American that um, I'm sure you know who he is, uh, lived in Boston and wrote beautiful books. The Prophet is the most famous one for him. And uh, growing up, but not only did I read it maybe 20 times, but I really followed a lot of what he said there. Mon, thank you so much for coming on. This is the Capital Stack where you can listen to operators, founders, investors about all things value creation and startups. Uh, Please subscribe, um, leave a comment, share with friends. We are on all platforms, Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes. And we will drop an episode next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.